How we doing, Exchange? Let's go. Hey, so glad to be in the room with you all. Help me welcome everyone joining for the first time. Let's put our hands together for them. So happy that you're here. My name is Mark. I get the privilege of serving as the college and young adult pastor here at Grace. And uh, tonight you came as we're closing out a series called Adulting. And tonight I'm excited to preach because I'm going to preach from the Old Testament tonight. I'm going to preach from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 32. We're going to go straight forward. I want to teach through tonight's message. So I just want to encourage you, pull out your notes, whatever you use to take notes, um, and the verses will be up on the screen. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 30. It says, during the night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man, who we actually learned was the Lord, came and he wrestled with Jacob until the dawn began to break. Verse 25, when the Lord came and saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Verse 26, then he said, let me go. For the dawn is breaking. And Jacob responded. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? And the Lord responded. He replied, Jacob, or excuse me, Jacob responds. He says, my name is Jacob. And the Lord responds. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel. Please tell me your name, Jacob asked again. Why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. He said in verse 30, I love this. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And I love this text so much in Genesis chapter 32. And I believe it's one of those, those passages that when you study it, I believe it can stir up your faith. I believe it can challenge you and transform you. And as I get ready to preach tonight, I want to preach from this idea, wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. You know, I've come to realize as a Christian along the years um, that Christians, I think that we kind of have like this negative, negative stigma from the world. And many people in the world would say that we're weird, right? Many people would say like, man, Christians, you guys are like peculiar. You guys are different. You guys are strange. And can I be honest? I think we give people a reason to say that. Like, if you know, you know, like how many of you know, like we have our own language. It's called Christianese. Like, we just put together this churchy jargon and, God bless you, man. May the God of peace be with you. Take care. It's just like I was just saying hello. You know what I mean? Like, we just make things so weird sometimes. I even think about uh, some of the things that we say, not only that, but some of the things that we wear. No hate on Christian apparel. I love a good Jesus Loves Me shirt. I love a good WWJD bracelet. In fact, no hate on this, but this girl, Anna Walliver, where's she at? Hey, if, if you know Anna, man, she has an incredible brand that you need to check out. And, and man, it, it's the best Christian apparel that I've seen. But can I tell you, I think some of the things that we see on, on Christian shirts today, like it's the most strange thing ever. The other day, I saw this shirt and it says, sin fascinates, then assassinates. Okay. <laughs> I, I saw this bathing suit and, uh, just, let me just explain it like this. On the dude's backside... It says, Jesus, or my lifeguard can actually walk on water. And on the side it says, his name is Jesus. <laughs> Super sexy, right? <laughs> What's so interesting about it, though, is the other day I was actually driving. I saw this bumper sticker that caught my attention. It says, um, Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus is my, my co-pilot. 
How many of you know, like, that's super catchy, that's pretty cool, but when you actually unpack that idea, that's the farthest from the truth. Like, how many of you know the, the, the fact that uh, in the beginning of time, there was two people, Adam and Eve, they wanted to be the pilot, they wanted to direct their course of life, and that's actually what led to the fall of man. See, I, I believe the problem with that statement is that none of us have the power, the authority, the wisdom, the discernment to direct the course of our life. We need somebody greater. And many of us, we're living our lives with Jesus in the passenger seat, and I'm just challenging you to wake up and realize you need him in the driver's seat. So many of us don't realize, though, we're asking Jesus to just co-sign our lifestyles, to be our co-pilot, to direct the course of our lives. And I think that many of us, we've gotten comfortable with this idea that I will just call on Jesus when it's convenient. Like, I'll just radio, in, radio Jesus in when I need him. I'll call on him when I need him. You know, I'm going to handle my finances, my career. I'm going to handle my dream, my vision for my life. I'm going to be the pilot. I'm going to keep him there. And I know I'm not the only one to, to think this, that we sometimes find ourselves in this place where we have Jesus in the passenger seat, and when things are spiraling out of control, we're mad at Jesus because he's not grabbing the wheel. I, I know I'm not the only one to get frustrated or angry with God or get bitter with God when my life feels like it's spiraling out of control or I'm not moving forward. There seems to be no momentum in my life. I'm like, Jesus, why aren't you grabbing the wheel? I just want you to know today, God doesn't bless what you start. God doesn't bless what you start. And I need you to get a revelation tonight because I believe so many of us, we're living our lives with this idea that God's not good. God's not at work in my life. God's not holding up to his promises. God's not remaining true in my life. My life's not moving forward. I didn't land that job. I have yet to find that relationship. I'm 29 years old, God. Come on, I was supposed to be married by then. And we start questioning God. Many of us were even challenged to believe that there could be a God because of this. And what if I told you we experienced this because we want to be the pilot of our lives and what we do, we invite God into our plans instead of seeking his will for our life. We got really good at inviting God into our plan, saying, God, would you bless this? God, would you be a part of this? And I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. I know this is kind of cliche, but it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. I know that's a cliche verse, and quite often we hear it, but... How I many of you know, like, we, we pick and choose what we want God to touch and bless and be a part of in our life? I remember when I was a kid, and uh, my parents opened up a joint bank account for me. And I remember um, I opened up my little Chase app one time, and I saw my parents' checking account, what I thought was their checking account, and it said $100. I'm sitting there thinking, like, we broke, broke. Like, freaking out a little bit. Like, we're, we're broke. How are we going to make it? Like, fear and trepidation in my voice. But how many of you know my parents only wanted me to see what they wanted me to see? And I believe some of us, we're treating our relationship with God like that. We only want to give God access to the parts that we actually want him to see. And in Proverbs chapter 3, God doesn't say just give me access to some parts of your life. He says, no, give me access to all parts of your life. Seek me with your whole heart and I will show you which path 
to take. And my bottom line for the message tonight is we must seek out God's will for every area and every aspect of our life. And as I mentioned in Genesis 32, we're going to kind of teach through it tonight. I don't want to just preach through it because I think when we look at the life of Jacob, man, there's so much good application for us. There's so much good stuff that I believe helps us and challenges us to take a step towards seeking God's will for our life. Now, we're going to look from Genesis 25 to Genesis 32, seven chapters of Scripture. So I want to challenge you, open up your notebooks. Some of y'all be like, man, I want to go deep. We going deep tonight. So let's get ready to lean in. Genesis 25, it starts here. You got a woman and a man, man by the name of Isaac, a woman by the name of Rebecca. And this, these two people, they're, they're getting older in age, and they're still unable to have a child yet. And in Genesis chapter 25, you see that they're crying out to God for a child, and finally the Lord blesses them, not only with one child, but with twins. And the Bible says that these twins, one would be named Esau, the other would be named Jacob. And from the moment these boys were in their mother's womb, the Bible says that they were fighting with one another. These boys were fighting with one another as they were in their mother's womb. And it's important you get this because from the moment they were born, the Bible says Esau, the older brother, he comes out first. And as the firstborn child in the Hebrew culture, he would receive something called the primogeniture. The primogeniture was the birthright the blessing of the family. The firstborn child would always receive the family's inheritance, the estate, all the things that the family had to their name. The firstborn child would receive the possessions. He would receive the influence of the family. People would deem him as like the chief of the family or the general of the family. Now what's interesting about this is Esau, he's born first, but Jacob comes out right after holding on to his brother's heel. I don't want you to miss this because what's important about that moment is This is a symbolism of Jacob being extremely jealous and envious of what his brother was going to receive. He's holding on to his brother's heel because he wants what his brother was going to receive when his parents were going to pass. And in Genesis 25, we see from that moment forward, Jacob, he continuously keeps this idea of receiving the birthright out in front of him. He continues to come up with a plan how he could kind of scheme and scam his brother and get his brother to turn over the birthright to him. And in this moment, Jacob, Jacob's there one day, and as he's constantly thinking about this plan and trying to demise this plan, discontentment keeps on setting into his heart. Envy and jealousy keeps on setting into his heart. Why? Because he wanted what his brother Esau was going to receive. And I just want to kind of speak to this for a moment because... I don't think there's anything wrong with having a desire to be wealthy, to having a desire to receive great possessions in life, to have a desire to have a big house, but when that's your driving force in life, you will never walk in God's will for your life. It's important you get that, because I believe many of us, we have this vision to have the big house, the nice car, six-figure, seven-figure salary, all of these different things, and we're running after that, and our eyes are set on that, and we're not focused on what God is trying to do in the now. And that's what was taking place in this passage with, with Jacob. He's so focused on that, and discontentment, and his desire for wealth, his desire for influence, his desire for a title, his desire for the blessing and the estate and the possessions of his family, it's all out in front of him. And it's getting unhealthy. It was the driving force for Jacob's life. And when we get to Genesis 25, midway through that that chapter, what we see take place is one day, 
Esau, the older brother that was promised the birthright. He was out hunting. He was out fishing. He was a man's man. And one day he, he comes in the house and his brother Jacob, he was cooking in the kitchen. And how many of you know like somebody when they're hungry, like they're super dramatic? Anybody know somebody that's like super dramatic? Like this is, my wife's raising her hand because she's like, that's you. <laughs> But this is Esau in this moment. Esau comes in the house like, Jacob, I'm about to die. Bro, I need some food, man. And Jacob's probably looking at him like, bro, get your act together. But he keeps on carrying on. And, and in this moment, Esau looks at him and goes, Jacob, just give me some food. I'm about to die. And in that moment, Jacob comes up with this plan that if I could just get my brother to, in exchange of some food, to give me his birthright, all will be good. What's crazy about it is Esau actually fell for it. Esau, he, he traded the blessing, he traded the birthright, he traded all of his inheritance for a bowl of stew. And in that moment, you see things drastically change in the text. But what's so crazy to me about this, I think this is a teaching moment. How many of you know when we're desperate and when the flesh is weak, we compromise so easily? How many of you know when the flesh is weak, it's so easy for us to give into compromise? And this is a picture of what's taking place with Esau. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you are tired of waiting on God for a relationship. So you start giving your attention to people who don't deserve you. Some of you are so desperate for some attention. And I'm saying this with love as a brother, sisters. You're so desperate for attention, so what do you start doing? You start posting provocative photos on social media. Just wanting some hard eyes and some fire emojis. Some of you need to understand it is so easy to compromise your values when you are desperate and the enemy is looking for that opportunity. You got to stay firm in the spirit when the flesh is getting weak. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's why we got to pray in the spirit. That's why we got to stay strong in the spirit. But when you fast forward to Genesis 27, we get to a moment where Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac, he's so old at this point in his life. The Bible says he's old, so he thinks that he's about to die. He's so old that he's actually going blind. And this was the moment where Isaac, he's saying, you know what? It's time to give my son Esau his blessing. Isaac doesn't even know that Esau and Jacob had previously made this agreement. So he starts having this conversation with Esau. He's like, son, could you do me a favor? I want you to get me some food. Go kill, go hunt, go get me something fresh to eat. And when you come back, I want to give you the birthright. Jacob hears that in this moment. Jacob and his mom hear that. And Rebecca, Jacob's mom, she truly loved him. And in that moment, Jacob, he comes up with this idea that maybe I could just pretend to be my brother and I could go over to my father who can't see me and say, Dad, it's me, Esau. I'm ready for the birthright. Here's some food. And that's exactly what he does. He goes over to his father, Isaac. He goes, Dad, it's me, Esau. Dad, here's some food. Can I please have my blessing? And his father gives in. And what I love about that, I think it speaks to each and every one of us because what I want to teach you from that is God doesn't bless who you pretend to be. You see, Jacob, he struggled to realize that God was never going to bless the person he was pretending to be. And I think many of us, we're trying to be somebody that God never created us to be. We're trying to fit in with the in crowd. We're trying to blend in with the masses when God's called you to be set apart. 
God doesn't bless who you pretend to be, and it took Jacob a long time to get a hold of this, but shortly after this, we see that Jacob, he takes the possessions, he takes all that he was going to be blessed with and given in that moment, the birthright, and he, he goes to another town. And he goes to another town, and as he's going to this new town, this new place, he actually links up with his uncle Laban. And as he's with his uncle Laban, he decides to start working a job as a shepherd for his uncle Laban. And the scriptures say, as he gets there to this new place, trying to build his wealth, trying to build his possessions, all these different things, in that moment as he's there, a woman by the name of Rachel, who was the daughter of Laban, comes walking out. And the Bible says that Jacob, in that moment, he fell in love with her beauty and her form. He fell in love with what he had seen. He fell in love with her form. And in this moment, you would learn a couple of different things. I'm not going to preach this like it's our relationship series, but this woman, she ruins his life, okay? And how many of you know... When we get so caught up on the external, we miss out on the internal, and then what we start learning is we're in lust and not love, and then when we end up hurt, we're angry with God. And that's the moment that this man finds himself in. He ends up getting hurt by Rachel, but he falls in love with Rachel because of her beauty. And now he's in this moment where he's angry with God because happiness isn't on the table. He, he doesn't feel like life is coming together. Things aren't making sense to him. But can I just keep preaching on that vein of relationships? I think one of the things I want to speak to a lady in the room tonight is charm is deceptive, the Bible says. Charm is deceptive. Fellas, can I tell you, beauty is fleeting. And Jacob, he has to learn all of this stuff the hard way. And I love the truth about the Bible is it's life lessons for us to apply to today so we don't have to go through what Jacob went through. But some of you, you still make up your mind to say, I'm going to be the pilot of my life. I'm going to move by my will, by my desires. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then we get mad at God when we end up the same way Jacob did. I'm trying to help you and point you to the truth of God's word because in this moment when Jacob falls in love with this woman, he realizes that this woman was no good. And I want to pause here because for the next two chapters, Jacob continues to just live in frustration with God. He feels like everyone's cheating him. His father cheated him. His brother cheated him. His uncle Laban's cheating him. His uncle Laban was cheating him of his money. And he surely feels like God is cheating him. And in this moment now for two chapters, we're going to see Jacob go on the run, live his own life, continue to make all these decisions for himself. And at this moment, he believes there's no way there could be better days ahead of him. He's like, man, there's no hope for me. There's no way God has a plan for this season of my life. There's no way God has a purpose for me. There's no way God has a vision for my life. There's no way God has promises for my life. And Jacob, he's so discontent with this season of life that he finds himself in. And I want to speak to this because I believe it's a picture of many of us in the room. Many of us, we're just discontent with the season of life we're in. Discontent with our relationship status. Discontent with our job feel like we're going from job to job. We studied so hard for four years, graduated with the degree, but have yet to find the job in that field. We're going from relationship to relationship. Relationships around us with our friends aren't working out. 
Now we end up like Jacob in Genesis 32 where he's all alone. And when we read this passage, what I love about it is this angel, it's an angel of the Lord. It's actually God shows up in this moment. And the Bible says in Genesis 32 that God wrestles with Jacob. He takes his hip out of his hip socket and says, I will no longer call you Jacob, for now your name will be Israel, and you will be a man who leads many nations. And in that moment, Jacob comes to realize this isn't any ordinary man. This is God. Because he says, I have seen God face to face, and my life has been spared. I want you to get this because this is the moment for Jacob. This is like a reality check. I believe one of the reasons why God plucked his hip out of his hip socket was to stop him from being able to move after the things that he was chasing after. This was a reality check for Jacob. And I believe God's trying to bring some of you to a moment where this this reality check sets in on your life, that God is trying to sit you down and show you, you need to stop running after the things of the world and you need to fix your focus on me. Jacob, his hip is out of its socket. This man is in pain. This man doesn't know how to move forward. He can't move forward anymore. And in this moment, what Jacob realized is he needs to fix his life on God. And I believe God is saying the same thing to some of us. You see, what looked like a setback for Jacob was actually God setting him up for something greater. And I'm challenging some of you. You feel like you're in a season of setback? Reframe it. It isn't a setback. It's God trying to set you up for something greater in your life. Because in this moment, what we realize is it felt like a setback to Jacob, but God was saying, Jacob, I need you to fix your focus on me. I've got something greater for your life. I want to do something in and through you. Because what does it say in verse 35, or chapter 35? He says, Jacob, you'll become a great nation. You'll become a great nation and become the father of many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. See, God wanted to raise Jacob up to be the patriarch of a great nation. He wanted to raise Jacob up to be the leader of a great nation. He wanted Jacob to understand, Jacob, you've been focusing on everything other than me. I have more for you, Jacob. God's saying that to some of you in the room tonight. I've got more for you, Gabby. I've got more for you, Tyler. I've got more for you, Michael. I've got more for you, Trey. I've got more for you, Hannah. I've got more for you, Elijah. Would you fix your focus on me? It's not a setback. It's me trying to set you up for something greater. Stop seeing it as a setback. God is trying to cause you to be more dependent on him. He's trying to build your faith. He's trying to stretch your faith. He's trying to draw you closer to him. And most importantly, I want you to know, as he does that, he's trying to give you a greater revelation of who he is. He's trying to give you a greater revelation of who he is because in this moment, Jacob realizes, I can't get through this life without God. I need God. I need to seek his will. I need to seek his face. I need to hold on to his promises. I need to keep my attention focused on him. And as I close, I I really want to just give you some truth as I close out this message. Because I believe that last week we, we got some practical handles how to really grow up an adult and take steps in the direction that God is calling us to go. But tonight, I want to give you some truth as we close out this series. And it's going to be some statements that I want you to write down because I want you to think about these statements. And I want you to hold up your lifestyle to these statements. 
Because when we look at the life of Jacob from Genesis 25 to Genesis 35, what we realize is God is not obligated to finish what we've started. God's not obligated to finish what we started. Some of us, we've been trying to get God to bless a relationship he never called us to. Some of us, we're trying to get God to bless a dream that isn't a God-given dream. Some of us are trying to force God's hand to move in an area of our life that he never even called or put before us. And this is what Jacob had been doing. He'd been living life by his desires, his dreams, and now here he is frustrated with God, angry with God, bitter with God. When that relationship didn't work out for you, friends, I just want you to pause and take a moment and be reminded. Maybe you're the one that started it and God never put it before you. It's not God that's the problem, it's us. It's us. When we feel like we're going from job to job, maybe we never pause to get in alignment with what God actually gifted us with, what he was calling us to in life, the mission that he put before us that he's calling you to, and you've abandoned that thing for a paycheck, and you've missed out on your purpose. Some of us, we need to understand, not only is the application from that point this, some of us need to understand that we've been mistaking God's protection as rejection. God's been trying to protect you. God's been trying to protect you, but you keep stepping into your own endeavor. You keep going by your desires. You keep operating in your will. And when things don't work out, friends, it is not the fact that God is rejecting you. It is the fact that he is protecting you. You got to reframe it. You you, got to reframe it. Second thing I want you to get One of the most gracious things God can do is not give us what we desire. One of the most gracious things we can do in this life, or one of the most gracious things God God can do in this life is not give us what we desire. See, Jacob, I want you to get this. Jacob wanted an estate. God wanted to give him a nation. Jacob, he, he wanted an estate. He wanted some temporary riches and wealth. God wanted to use him to lead a great nation. How many of you know this to be true? God always holds more for us than we will ever realize. He's in Ephesians 3.20, God exceeding, abundant, above all we could ever ask, think, or imagine. That's the God that we serve. And I think many of us, we don't realize that we try to fathom what God has for us with our finite thinking. Friends, he is an infinite God. The Bible says his ways are above our ways. We can't understand what he wants to do in and through our lives. Don't don't offend God with your finite thinking. He's an infinite God. His ways are above our ways. And I cannot tell you this. I can attest to this. Because many of us, what we're going to realize is we feel like, man, God's rejecting us. He's not giving us what we want or what we desire. But years down the road, you will thank God that you didn't marry that person. Years down the road, you will thank God that you didn't get into business with those people. Years down the road, you will thank God that you never said yes to that person. Years down the road, you will thank God that you never associated yourself to those people. I think about even in my own life. I played college football at FIU and... It's a smaller Division I school. I had 16 Division I offers, and I'm not saying this to boast. I could have gone to so many different Division I universities across the nation. 
But I thank God I didn't fall into the trap of, you know what, I'm going to dream big. I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to go to one of these big schools because I actually met my wife at FIU. I thank God that I didn't give in to my desire. I thank God that I didn't go to Florida. I thank God that I went to meager, small FIU. And we went 0-25 oh, no, for like two years straight. But I met the love of my life. <laughs> I thank God. <laughs> but I'm just challenging some of you to think about that. Because we're getting frustrated with God. We're saying, God, why aren't you moving? God, why aren't you doing this thing? Friends, he always has more for you than you could ask, think, or imagine. And I'm really passionate about this because I've met too many young adults. I've met too many people in this life who's wrestling with God, who's wrestling with the will of God for their life, who's doubting God, questioning God's goodness in their life because they continue to make decisions to listen to the things of God. You know, I'm going to read my Bible, but I'm not going to seek God's will. I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to listen to the message, but I'm not going to surrender my will to God. And many of us, we continue to live in this cycle where we get around the things of God, but we don't surrender to God. We don't want to give it over. We don't want to give him our full trust. And we continue to say, this is my dream, God. This is my calling, God. This is my desire. This is my career. This is my finances. This is my relationship. And friends, can I tell you, if you continue to live your life that way, you will never get the revelation that Jacob did. This is the God who sees me. This is the God who loves me. This is the God who meets me face to face. This is the God that loves me despite what I've done. This is the God who sees me. And I'm just challenging some of you today to understand his way is above your way. Don't mistake his protection as rejection. You need to really reevaluate how you're living your life because friends, many of us, we would be so surprised. We have misplaced motivations just like Jacob. And we're constantly getting mad at God. We're getting frustrated with God. We're getting angry with God. But friends, you need to get out of the pilot seat and you need to step into the passenger seat. Maybe for someone in the room, the simple application is this. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to surrender my will, my desires to his will and his desires for my life. Or maybe it's just, I'm going to hang my life on God's promises. Because I know his promises speak, speak so true to so many of you, but you just don't believe it. Just as he said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 11, I've got plans for you. I've got a purpose for your life. I want to prosper you. I want to give you peace. I want to give you hope for your future. I want to give you hope not only for your future, but today. I want to do special things in and through your life. I want to use you. I want to do special things in your life. He's saying that to you. But are you going to continue to seek your desires or his desires? And if you choose your desires, you're going to experience a lot more heartbreak and heartache, a lot more rejection, a lot more pain, a lot more disappointment. But when you hang your life on his promises, you will realize he is the God who is faithful to deliver on what he's spoken. He's the God who's faithful to deliver on his spoken. Come on, let's stand to our feet. I want to challenge you tonight. As we sing this song, I want you to hang your, hang your faith 
hang your beliefs, hang your hope on the truth that he's spoken it over your life. He's spoken it over you today.